difference between what it means to be good when you're trying to be epic. Uh, no, you don't gotta believe in me. Nothing can stop me. I already said it. I'm taking everything they stole from us. Yeah. You got your problems, I'm a whole nother. I'm giving people something to believe in. I'ma show them freedom like a bone cutter. We gon' fight back. Yeah. We breaking chains over here. Yeah. And you can stay over there. Stay. Cause this is revolution mixed with execution. We insane over here. Taking over, making no excuses. They can't control us when they only shoot in blanks. Don't obey the rules. We go against the grain. We fight. Welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call with the alcohol only on. It is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And now, join me on the line. This man here will be fighting once again, December 19th, UFC Fight Night. He called him out. He wanted this fight. He's getting it. It's going to be him versus Marlon Moraes in a bantamweight scrap. Well, he wants gold in 2021. And he's nearly there. I give you, well, the man who uh, was probably the force of reinvigorating New England MMA. I give you, it is Rob Font. Uh, Rob, I'll start off here with the big fight. You, Marlon Race, uh, you've wanted this fight for a long time. Why? Why is this? Why is Marlon Race the guy that you feel is just perfect for you? Yeah, y'all. You know, obviously, uh. First of all, thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate you reaching out. I, um, as far as Marias, I mean, you know, obviously the number. He's a, uh, he's you know, he's an exciting fighter. So he's gonna bring the fight. So he's not gonna, you know, he's not one of those fighters that kind of like could potentially make it a boring fight. Um, you know, he has uh, a lot of experience, and and I want to test myself against that experience. He has, uh, you know, he's fought you know, big names, Henry Cejudo, all, all the top guys in the division. So, and again, like a win over him or even a finish over him puts me right there to take on those big names and those number one contender fights and eventually at the end go get to the belt. He's an explosive fighter. We've seen him knock people out with leg kicks, with uh, punches. He likes to explode in that first two, three minutes. How much you look at that and go, okay, I'm going to try to drag him to deep water and try to see if I can test that gas tank of his. Um, you know, you definitely got to think about that as far as like, watch, especially after watching that Henry Cejudo fight. Um, you got to think about his cardio, but then you also got to think, you know, this guy just lost two fights. He's probably going to come back a whole different person, going to fix a lot of holes in his game. So I'm expecting him to be the, you know, a modern Marais that's in shape, a modern Marais that's sharp, and a modern Marais that's ready to, you know, take my head off. And um, that's the guy I'm planning for. Um, you know, obviously, if it doesn't go that way, and he does gas out and, and all that, and I have to take him into deep water, and he does, you know, obviously explode a lot and use a lot of energy and towards the end starts gassing out, then, you know, uh, you know obviously I'm going to take advantage of that and, and definitely try to bring him to that third round and, uh, you know, look for the finish there. We're going to go back to this fight in a bit. Take us back <coughs> to your last fight. That was a year ago. It's total tie into Mariah and everything here. Uh, you, Ricky Simon, uh, once again, an impressive performance, unanimous decision victory. What went right? Did anything go wrong? Uh, what do you feel was, for you, the big turning point in that fight? I, um, well, well, obviously, my, um, what went wrong was I tore my ACL in the second round, so. That was that obviously sucked, but then I think you know uh, I had a, like a a good first round, and then I started um, got a little lazy and and dropped my hand. He caught me with a good left hook, and then he kind of like 
the round kind of went back and forth from there. Um, then I definitely dominated the first, uh, started the second round. And in the third round, it was tit for tat until I kind of pushed at the end and I just took over. So, um, you know, just, I guess I would say like being a little more focused or a lot more focused in the first round is never really getting out of that stage where I'm, you know, like kind of being a little lazy or, or taking a mental break, I guess you could say, and just, staying focused and just staying on him. But, um, you know, I, I, I learned my lesson. Um, you know, I was, he, he dropped me, so I, I got back up and then, you know, focused back up and soldiers on and we finished the fight. But besides that, I think I, I did, you know, I did what I wanted to do in there. Um, I took some risk. Um, I, I got a couple, I got a takedown. I stopped some takedowns and, um, you know, I got up when he did take me down. So um, overall, I think, um, you know, I showed that I'm a, I'm a well-rounded MMA fighter. Take us to that second round when, as you said, you tear your, you tear your ACL. And I'm guessing the longer it goes on, the more you start feeling that pain. Uh, how do you get over it? I mean, how do you mentally block it so that you're not going, oh, I, want, I want to get out of here. I want to get out. Because most people, when they even trip and fall, they bruise themselves. Like, yeah, we can't move. We need the ambulance. We Get us a stretcher. Somebody give us a, a cortisone shot. And here you are. You're just going through like, all right, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. In your mind, like, Okay, this really motherfucking hurts. Yeah, um, you know, I it, it's weird that it didn't hurt during the fight. You know, it really didn't hurt during the fight. I knew something was definitely wrong. I it felt a little unstable, but it didn't hurt. It was almost like it was numb. It was like a burning sensation. Like like it was just hot. If that makes sense. Um, but the moment I stopped fighting and the fight was over and I got to the back, that's when all all the pain happened. So, um. As far as pain, I wasn't I wasn't thinking about it because like, I couldn't feel it. But then, as far as not thinking about it, I just man, I was like, man, I can't I can't lose this dude. You know, there's no way I gotta just do whatever I gotta do to figure this figure this out. And just that that's where my my mind was focused on. It was that and not not the knee. It's been a tough couple of years for you, and you know, fight wise, because you're two and zero against two very good fighters, as I mentioned before, Ricky Simon and Sergio Pettis, but. You know, fights have fallen through. You've been injured. You get, you know, dinged up here. You tear your ACL. Uh, how frightening, how frustrating has it been just not having, like, momentum go your way and have to almost be out for, like, a year in between fights? I mean, you're literally going to be fighting a year in, you know, 12 days from the Simon fight to the Mirai fight. Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely frustrating, but it's something I, I've done before. You know, I, uh, my my debut, and then it's, I had to take another year. So I, it, it's it is what it is. I guess I guess I'm kind of used to it right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to kind of like you know, um, still be able to get in there and still get big fights even after taking a year off. So you know, uh, I'm not really you know I, I can't complain. Um, it's definitely frustrating, but it, you know it, it is what it is. Life happens, shit happens, and I'm just happy I got to go out there and you know, again, compete at a high level versus a, a tough guy and, you know, and, and just another big opportunity. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we've got is Rob Font on the show. We're talking all things, of course, this fight with Mara Mariah. We're talking 20 CL. We're talking overcoming uh, the obstacles here. There's other stuff you could do for money. I mean, you can make more money than MMA. So as I say that, what makes you still love it? I mean, you've been through countless injuries, which means, you know, countless, you know, months and days of rehab, surgeries, having family members sometimes probably had to help you up the stairs, down the stairs, 
you know, having days where it probably hurts just putting on pants because either your back is screwed up or your shoulders are screwed up, your legs are screwed up. What makes you love the sport that you can't get rid of it? Even after all this, what you've gone through here, you still love this with a passion. Yeah, man, that, 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 uh, you know, that, that winning is a drug and it's, it's addicting and there's no better feeling than winning. So, you know, I'm always chasing that high, but you know, um, that plus it, I feel this feels, feels brand new. You know, I feel like I'm just getting better. I'm still learning new things. It's, uh, it's not like a job. So it's like, it's like a new adventure every single time I go to fight. It's a new, um, it's a new like game plan. It's a new, it's a new strategy. It's a new, uh, you know, network of fighters that we're, we're going to spar with. So it's just, it's kind of like, I, I don't, I can't see this getting old or boring or hard for me to get up and go and go for a run or hard for me to not eat Thanksgiving dinner or, or, you know, saying, uh, you know, like, forget that, like, you know, like how, what I was doing before I got into the UFC and what I was doing, you know, saying when, when I wasn't, you know, saying fighting in front of fans or, or getting interviews or, or, you know, doing stuff like that. So, like, I think it's a blessing to kind of be able to do what I do. And I'm like, I just, you know, I just, again, it's, it's, it's also love. So it's super easy. And then, you know, uh, like you said, I could be doing other things to get more money, but I'm actually making decent money and in, in off of the UFC and what, you know, the UFC, my, you know, having those three letters behind my name, you know, could bring. And I'm, you know, so it's kind of like, I'm actually winning in all in all, all of the stages of, of the of, of it right now, so you know I'm, I'm happy. Last co- last question before we let you go because then we'll press for time here. The New England Cartel. It's you. It's coaches Sean Farley, Ty Cartier, Jack Manini, uh, John Dupuis, and Calvin Guitar. That's how it started. It's yes, now sir. blossomed to more fighters are coming around. You get you know more guys are staying here instead of leaving to Florida or leaving to New Jersey, leaving to Texas. You started something. I mean, you, got, you and, and Ken, Calvin and Albion and Carton coaches started this sort of movement here. It's now blossomed. How much of, do you enjoy that? You're like, this is your baby. It's, you were the proud papa of New England <laughs> MMA. You guys have now made so people. Like, and I know you're laughing, but it's, you no longer have to leave this state. You no longer have to leave New England to get good MMA. You can train here. How much do you, yeah. you know take pride in that? That you've started something that has legs. Yeah, you know it, it's it's huge. I, I, I'm, I'm smiling every day because it's, it just keeps getting bigger. It just keeps getting better, and, and a lot of people are just reaching out and with support, um, reaching out, wanting to help, reaching out. You know, trying to like you know figure out how they can join up and get with us and. The thing about it is, we literally have like, if you're serious about MMA or, or or even training and not fighting, like you you have to contact contact us as far as management training. Uh, you know, Calvin Calvin has a, a promotion. You know, like you know, again, you know, we have the manager, we have a bunch of trainers, like we have the network from uh, nutrition to to uh, uh, all the martial arts disciplines to um, network with boxers. Uh, you know, pure wrestlers from anywhere from Maine all the way down to Rhode Island, even Connecticut and as far as New York. So like we, we have a huge network between all of us. Plus again, like being in the UFC, we can reach out and, and, and holler at and, 
and network with a bunch of fighters. So like, and we will do that. And that's what we do. We go, we go to Canada, we go wherever we need to go to get the job done. And, you know, um, if we need to, but you know, like it's also great that we don't have to leave and stay here. And just, if we have to get in the car and go to a different state, as far as like Maine or New Hampshire, you know, we will, but it's pretty cool. Cause everybody just gets together. Like, like I said, Tyson kind of puts out the bat signal when we all meet up and, go wherever we have to go and get the job done. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, he'll be fighting December 19th only on uh, pay-per-view. Or It's going to be, once again, this man against the very tough Marlon Rai. I give you Rob Font. Uh, Rob, before we let you go, where can the fans check you out at? Where is the Twitter page, Instagram, the website? Uh, where can fans hit you up at? Oh, definitely, man. First off, again, thanks for having me on. You know, um, I'm on Instagram at Rob underscore font, Twitter at Rob S font. Um, if you can, please check out the new New England Cartel website. You know, it just launched uh, yesterday. Uh, we're going live with a whole bunch of new merch and uh, some new swag. So go check that out and uh, just tune in December 19th. And I'm trying to make history here. And uh, again, thanks for having me on. Pleasure all ours. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I give you it's Rob Font fighting at UFC Fight Night, December 19th. Check your local list for more details. We come back. We got a whole lot more here only on It Is Last Call. Last Call without the alcohol only on It Is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Stay tuned for more great action coming up.
And we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen, only on It Is Last Call. Last call with the alcohol only on It Is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And join me on the line, this man here. Well, when you go from the UFC to boxing, most people think you're going to flame out. Uh, nobody told this guy that, well, his job was to lose. And now he finds himself armed with a PFL contract for a chance to win $1 million. And well, as he said, I just want to punch some people in their faces. I give you once again all the way from it is well I, we have no idea where we're training right now due to coronavirus we'll find out but I give you former boxer turned MMA fighter turned and boxer turned back to MMA fighter I give you Clay Collier not Clay I gotta ask these last four fights when you've been beating all these prospects how nice is it knowing that you're making all of these boxing reporters and boxing experts eating their crow because they kept saying, oh, MMA fighters can't do boxing. MMA fighters are going to get their asses, you know, kicked. And it's like, ooh, we really got to rethink that part. Yeah, man, I'm a fighter. So uh, whether it's MMA, boxing, jiu-jitsu, wrestling match, it doesn't matter, man. I'm, I come to win. So Take us to this in the beginning. Like, how, What made you decide to go back to boxing? Because you even though that you got let go by the UFC, there were a lot of promotions who wanted you. You're an action-packed, you know, fighter. Why boxing? What was it about them that you decided to go? You know what? I'll try my hand at this. Uh, well, honestly, my it was my coach's idea. He he thought it would just better my all-around fight game to to get back to boxing. So, um, you know, it's kind of hard getting the right fights. They either wanted me to fight somebody really good for no money or just somebody that I didn't think was worth fighting when it came to MMA. So, um, and my coach was like, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think you need to get back to your roots and get back to boxing. I think it'll, it, it'll help you all around. And so that's why we did it. I'm looking at some of the guys you beat and we've had, we've talked with some of these guys here, like Gerald Cheryl, who was on the contender, uh, Laurent Nelson, you know, David Kaminsky, Maurice Williams, Raymond Guarado, Quashardo. Yeah. I mean, these are some guys who are pretty good prospects here, and you were beating them. What was going on? What was going behind backstage when you come back, you know, and you're winning, and you can see Bob Aram going, God damn it, you're supposed to lose. I bring you in here to lose. You're not supposed to beat my prospects. Man, uh, I mean, I, I like being the underdog. I never believed I was the underdog in any of those fights, but everybody else did. And uh, I show up to fight and I show up to win. I don't do this to to lose, you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, it's been nice, you know, getting wins and getting the publicity. And, you know, it's been a great year so far. I'm undefeated this year so far. So uh, I got a fight on the 12th and I hope to keep that going, so. Take us to – and the fight I was very impressed with was the Raymond Gorado fight. That was the one on February 1st. You're taking on this kid undefeated, 5-0. and You get dropped in round one. Most people think, all right, that's going to be it. You know, he's going to be just cannon fodder. And yet you get back up. You drop him down twice. You finish him in the second round. How nice of a victory is that when it's like, okay, you know what? I got to dig deep. I got to, you know, literally, you know, just buckle down on the on – the, chin strap, you know, grind my gears and just go after this guy because I know I've lost that first round. Well, I didn't think I lost the first round. I dropped him first. 
um, and I had him hurt and I got a little reckless and, you know, I thought he was hurt and I, you know, that's when a fighter's the most dangerous is when they're hurt. So I dropped him first and, um, yeah, I got a little reckless, kind of came in uh, a little too heavy and he clipped me. Um, I popped right up. It didn't flash me or anything. I just kind of stumbled me. I, he hit me and I kind of fell back and my heels caught in the canvas and that's why I went down. But I was a clean shot. And then, uh, you know, I got up and, uh, I could hear my coach saying, slow down, slow down. Like you got to beat slow down. And that's when I, you know, uh, I, I started picking them apart. And by that second round, he just, he had enough. So. How tough is that to do? Slow down and be patient because whether you're in boxing or UFC, one of the things I've always noticed is you put pressure. It's just constant pressure, constant pressure. You want you basically, you, your will is going to break this guy. It might not be, he might be more talented. He might be more experienced, you know, amateur wise, but you're going to make him break because your will is that much stronger than his. Yeah, man, that's uh, something my, my coach has put into me. You know, he, uh, he says we're going to will the win, actually. That's something he says. So, um, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I, I have a fighter spirit, man. Uh, and I just like to freaking break these guys' souls, you know. When, when a guy's coming at you and coming at you and coming at you, and no matter what you hit him with, he keeps coming at you, that's – yeah, I mean that gets to you. So that's that's the approach I take. You know, I like to I, I like to beat guys up. And, and who is so, started, uh, by the way, Team Collier? Like who who is your boxing coach, your jujitsu coach, your wrestling coach? Like who are the people that you brought coach. on? I have one guy, man. Uh, that is the great Ryan Alt, man. So, so how does he do all this, and how do you do all of it? When you know, as you said, you're doing mixed, you're doing your MMA still. You're, it's not like you retired from that. You're doing your boxing. So, um, my coach started boxing at a very young age. He was about four years old. He fought. Uh, I mean, he was one of the best amateurs in the game. Um, you know, he beat Fernando Vargas twice, lost to him uh, during the Olympic trial. Um, so he, he grew up boxing and then, um, later in his career, he got into mixed martial arts. He's a black belt in, in Japanese jujitsu, not Brazilian jujitsu. He did train Brazilian jujitsu. So, um, the only thing I guess he's lacking in would be wrestling. And I've been wrestling since I was six. So, but he thinks outside the box, man. He, uh, you, I mean, you, you, you don't really know until you meet the guy and, and he gets on a tear and just starts teaching you stuff. And, and he teaches me stuff that nobody else is teaching, you know? So um, I think I, I think my coach is one of the best coaches in the world. I mean, he's, he's totally changed my career. You know, I, I was on a downward spiral at the time, you know, got cut from the UFC I took a two-year break, and I found him and, and decided we were going to come back. And, you know, we've been on a tear. So uh, I, th I think I have one of the best coaches in the world for sure. How does it work with the two sports and him helping you with this? Because MMA, MMA striking and boxing are two different, two different footworks. Because let's face it, MMA, you got to worry about a guy taking you down. you got to worry about a guy kicking you in the legs. 
boxing, it's just purely just you go, you know, you come forward, you can, you know, work on, you know, the, on the balls of your feet. You can, you know, dart in and out. You don't have to worry about anybody attacking your legs. How do you guys work it so that you don't pick up bad MA habits or bad boxing habits and try to have that perfect sort of mixed style? So, yeah, um, it's just he, he calls it a hybrid style. You know, he boxed his pretty much his whole life since he was four. And then he transferred over into MMA. So he understands, you know, what not to do in MMA and what to do in boxing and vice versa. So uh, he just has a really great understanding of the fight game and and um what we do works man uh you'll you'll hear all the boxing analysts tell me i don't know how to box but i'm beating you know 10 and 0 prospects 13 and 1 dudes i'm beating them and that's that that's because my style is a hybrid you know i'm 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 a little different than everybody man so um yeah it's just i work hard every day man and i listen to them and it works so i'm gonna keep listening if you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we got Clay Collier here on the show. We're talking all things, of course, boxing. We're talking his coach. We're talking training here. One of the things I noticed is that you guys train in high altitudes. You train in uh, remote areas. It's not like you're in Miami or Vegas or California. You're training out in either Idaho and now in Utah. How much of that was because of your trainer and wanting to you know, have that sort of gas tank where – you can go six rounds. You can go 12 rounds. You can bring that constant pressure, not go, all right, I mean, he's gassing after 10 rounds or he's gassing after six rounds or he's gassing after eight rounds. How much of all of this training has been to just help the gas tank go on for whether it's 15 to 36 minutes of nonstop action? Um, man, one of, my, one of my coach's biggest pet peeves in the fight game is when a fighter gets tired. Um. You know, we, we started in Utah, we moved out to Vegas, now we're in Idaho. So, I mean, it's not, it's great that we're, we're in higher altitude now, but I, I mean, it didn't matter if I was in Vegas or, or, or where we, we were still not going to get tired. Cause that's, that's my, one of my coach's biggest pet peeves when it comes to fighting, our job is to not get tired. So, um, it, it's just the work we put in, man, it, it's hours in the gym every day and you know the the type of workouts he he has me do are are for high conditioned athletes and I'm a high conditioned athlete so it's my job not to get tired man so um I I throw a lot of punches and I pressure a lot and that's been my style since I started this and and now I have the gas tank to back it up so that's just yeah it, that's just something that you know if i get tired in a fight i know coach is gonna slap me upside the head in between rounds and you know get after me so uh it's just something that that we work towards work towards so that don't happen why the pfl i mean there were a lot of promotions i heard who wanted you back i know bellator was probably talking with you or ufc probably would have welcomed you back in with all this publicity PFL is a tournament and it's about basically survive in advance, survive in advance. What was it about their pitch that made you go, this is my MMA home now. This is where I'm going to be, you know, pulling up roots for MMA. 
Uh, that's kind of a funny story, man. So we were training out in Vegas um, at Extreme Couture where Ray Sipo trains. Um, he's the president for the PFL. So um, we were training out there. Um, I did get re-signed to the UFC and uh, I messed up on some paperwork and, and the fight didn't happen. And, uh, you know, we were just like, whatever, forget you guys. Um, my coach was like, Ray, we want to fight for the PFL. And, um, Ray reached his hand over the cage and said, shake on it. And, uh, you know, I, I love the tournament style. I, I think I'm, I'm built for that. I fight a lot and I fight often and, and, you know, having, fights scheduled all the way throughout the year you know um it, it'll keep food on the table and my bills paid for for the year you know so um you know I, I don't i don't do anything else but fight so you know if i don't fight i, I don't eat so <laughs> um you know i'm i'm just really i'm really excited about the pfl i love the tournament setup i love that they it has nothing to do with politics. If you win, you get your shot at the championship. You know, it's not, you know, if this, if it's not political, you know, it's not, Oh, this guy deserves it when, you know, sometimes he doesn't. And, and I, and you do see that in UFC quite a bit. So, uh, you know, as long as I keep winning, I'm going to get that shot at the belt and that's what I plan on doing. So. I guess my worry here is the PFL. And I, I've talked with fighters who from Bellator, UFC, uh, even rise in one of C is who have turned it down is that if you can lose, you can lose your spot. If you get even injured. And we, when I talk injured, like he has an, you get a nasty cut over your eye. Oh, you can't fight next round. Sorry. You've lost your spot. Or, Hey, you know what? He, you, you tweak your knee or all that. Can't fight, you know, in two weeks. Oh, you lost your spot. How tough is that going to be for you in this tournament where it's sort of just win? Don't win by submission, by knockout. We don't care about that. Just advance and survive, advance and survive when, as you said, you're like an, you were like an all-action hero. You go basically go balls to the wall. You want to knock somebody out. You want to basically just bring the heat no matter what. Um, you know, I am I started my career when I was 18. I'm, I'm 28 now. I've been doing it for 10 years. I've never been cut. I've never been knocked out, and I haven't been hurt yet. So, um. Uh, I'm not really worried about that. I, I plan on going in there and putting these guys out in the first round and moving on. So, um, you know, whatever happens, happens. But the, the good news is I got boxing, you know, right in my back pocket. I, I can always, you know, heal up and pull that card out. So, you know, if I lose my, my spot, if I get hurt and, and I'm out, whether I was fighting for the UFC or fighting for Bellator, if you get hurt, you get hurt, you know, so um you're you're out either way for that time if you know I, i'm out for the tournament i'll i'll go right back to boxing man that that's that, that's a good thing about me is i got options you know a lot, a lot of these other guys don't so it's just, your, your story is a special story especially in this this time and time right now in this country where people are suffering you know coronavirus has really hurt people a lot of ways whether it's financial whether it's emotional whether it's health-wise. And you, as you said, you said yourself, you were cut by the UFC, you cast off. Nobody, you know, there is no career for you afterwards. You're fighting in boxing and most people are writing you off. Oh, he's just some MMA bum, you know, he's going to lose. 
and this year you've run, you've run off a streak of five straight wins against four damn pretty good opponents. You know, all the prospects here. What is it like now when people come and say, "Hey, you inspire me. Hey, you, you know, I look up to you. Hey, you're 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 my kid's role model because you've done what most people can't. You've overcome all these obstacles and made a second career for yourself when most people barely can make a first career." You know, man, um, that's the whole reason I do this is to to be something bigger than myself, you know. So um, I, I'm just very blessed to to be able to be the inspiration for people, you know. Um, it, it's it, it's it's a great blessing in my life. So, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I I'm I'm still struggling myself in a way, you know. Uh, my la- my last fight that I had scheduled, I got the the virus and I wasn't able to fight. Um, when I don't fight, like I said, I don't eat. This is what I do. So, um, you know, times are still s- still kind of tough, but but that ain't gonna change the fact that that I have dreams and I have goals and and I have things that you know I want to do. I want to be bigger than myself. So uh, I'm I'm gonna keep working and. Uh, I'm gonna keep proving people wrong, and and you know I hope I get more fans, and and we we just keep the ball rolling, you know. So oh, very heavily, John. Once again, we are proud to have on the show. It's none other than the man who keeps on just knocking out opponents, taking home some prize money, and well, just giving hope to a lot of people out there. I give you PFL's new signee, and well. Uh, the boxing, I'd say, boxing's un, un uh, basically undrafted, but uh, rising young star. I give you Clay Collier, Doc. Clay, before I let you go, where can the fans check you out at? Where's the Twitter page, the Instagram, uh, the the website? Like, where could fans hit you up at if they want to get in touch with you? Um, so my Instagram handle is Cassius underscore Clay MMA. My Twitter is CCC Collard. Um. Uh, th- those are really the only fan social media I have. Everything else is personal. So, um, yeah, you can always get at me there, man. Um, you know, I love hearing from the fans. I love, I, I love everything like that. So I'll, I'll usually write you back <laughs> uh, if I have the time or, or if I see it. So, Clay Collier, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are proud to have Mama Show. We come back. We got a whole lot more here going on. Only uh, it is last call. Last call of the alcohol only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Stay tuned for more great action coming up.
Welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call with the alcohol only on. It is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And join me on the line. Well, we had earlier on this week, uh, or this sorry, Wednesday, we had Clayton uh, Collier. want to thank him for joining the show. Plus, Rob Fawn will be fighting once again December 14th. And we're excited to see him back in action as Marlon Race. This man here, well, he is... The international star right now in mixed martial arts. He knows everything. He's breaking stuff down. He's getting scoops like you don't know. I give you the owner of MMA uh, DNAL and also the one of the administrators for Tapology. I give you Marcel Dorf. Uh, Marcel, let's start off here with it was this past weekend we had UFC Fight Night uh, Smith versus Clark. It was supposed to be Blaze versus. Lewis, that fell apart. Uh, how tough is that when your main event falls apart, when your card isn't that deep, and when you're dealing with COVID? I know that people weren't happy with but was this the best scenario that UFC could have done? Yeah, I think so, man. I mean, uh, if your card isn't that stacked, you really, um, uh, you really have an, you have an issue if the main event falls through. What happened this time? And uh, I think they kind of lucky they had Anthony Smith on the card, which has a, a notable name for even for people who don't watch MMA that often, I think, so they could bump him up to the main car, to the main event spot. And uh, both guys were willing to take the fight uh, a five-rounder, so uh, it made sense, I think. Um, that, but the weird thing for me is that they that they made it a six-fight main card. They went from five fights to four after one, after the main event uh, got lost, and uh, then they make it six-fight card. So... Um, yeah, maybe it's because it wasn't ESPN, right? It was I think it wasn't ESPN news for, for you guys in the US. But um yeah, I, I mean that was kind of weird to me. Six five main card with, with a card that's not really stacked if it comes to names, but yeah, what can you do? I think it's it, it was the right choice to just make this the main event. I don't think they have many options. Let's, let's touch upon the main event. Anthony Smith, Devin Clark. Going to the fight, I'm guessing there were a lot of people within the UFC who wanted Clark to win. He has a great story. He's a young guy. Uh, they're desperate for challenges at 205 because it is an older man's uh, division right now. He was coming off back-to-back wins over Daquan Townsend and Alonzo Menafield. How big of a setback is this for him? Losing a triangle choke to Anthony Smith in the first round. Not just losing, but losing in a way which I'm guessing a lot of people didn't see coming. If you thought Smith was going to knock him out, I'd say yes. Decision, probably. Submission by a triangle choke, eh, that probably got a lot somebody a lot of money somewhere. Yeah, it kind of sucks for Clark, man, to be honest. I mean, he had, uh, so far, I think, three real good chances to get into the top. The first was against uh, Jan Blachowicz back then in Poland. He lost that one. Then he got that fight against Ryan Spann, which he lost as well, and this one as well. So the thing with Clark is I think he's a good fighter, but at the moment he has to has to peak in, in his fight against a, a very good opponent. He, he, he doesn't get it together for some reason, but... Um, yeah, we will see what's going to happen. And I think Anthony Smith did very well uh, after two losses in a row, or three actually. He lost to John Jones, uh, Glover Teixeira, and Rakic. So uh, three losses in a row. Um, now he's winning, and it was an impressive win, in my opinion. So, um, 
Yeah, it was kind of the thing like is Anthony Smith uh, going uh, going down in the division, or and Clark is go, going to be the new guy over there uh, taking him over, or is Anthony Smith still holding on on that spot and Clark can overcome that? And I think it's the second Anthony Smith still holding on on that spot on that uh, top ten, top fifteen spot there. So uh, yeah, good for for Smith, but uh, sucks for Clark, man. Honestly, yeah, I agree with you. Where does and I guess it's a big question. Where does Anthony Smith go because we can say it, you know, but it was a good win, but he looked really awful against Glover to share Alexander Rackick. I mean, he was getting mauled to the point where we were calling for his retirement. Okay, he beats Devin Clark, but as you said, that's also Clark, you know, can't get out of his own head, he can't do certain things. Uh, where do you put him? And is he a guy that, you know, if you're UFC, you worry about, well, he might stunt the growth of our prospects. Yeah, personally, what I would like to see, and as a guy who called him out after the fight, Jimmy Crute, he's ranked number 13. Uh, Smith is ranked number seven right now. So I think that would make sense. You know, I think it would make sense to see if uh, if he beats Jimmy Crute, give him a better name after that, Anthony Smith. But I want to see another fight where he fights a guy who is a little bit under him at this moment. And a crew has so much potential. Anthony Smith is, is a veteran, is a good fighter. So uh, I, I think that's a perfect fight where we can see where both men stand right now. So um, I think uh, I think that would make sense. And if you want to give Smith a better or more uh, closer ranked opponent, I would go with either Nikita Krilov or uh, Johnny Walker. But uh, I like to see the Smith against a crude fight. I think that's a fun one. Lost in this card or... I'd say one lost of the story of this card is uh, Miguel Baeza. He might be that next breakout kid, but you talk about and go, well, he's ready for top 10, top 15 competition. Uh, You know, arm triangle submission, second round over Takashi, you know, Sato. Sato, you know, a pretty, you know, a veteran has been around. You know, he's, he's beaten, you know, decent fighters, lost to very good fighters here. But, you know, but, how good is Bias, in your opinion? Is he the real deal, or is he still somebody we're trying to figure out, okay, what happens when he takes on somebody who can drag him into that, you know, third round, fourth round, and make him really fight? I'm high on Baeza, man. I'm high on him since I saw him on the Contender Series. He's a fun fighter to watch. Um, he knocked out Matt Brown, I remember, in his fight before this one. He had a difficult first round, but he overcame adversity, knocked him out in the second. Uh, he looked very good against Sato, and Sato is a good fighter. I think he is close to being in the top 15, honestly, man. I think um, he's in the in the Bilal Muhammad, uh, Randy Brown, uh, those kind of guy range over there, uh, Sean Brady, a little bit over there right now. And I, I'd love to see to give him a matchup with what with, with, you can go with what even a Randy Brown, I think. But what I like to see is an Alan Juban, you know, Alan Juban is he's also a little bit older right now. He got a good win last time out against um, against Jared Gooden. So I think that would be a fun fight, or either Anthony Rocco Martin would be good. I think uh, those are those are guys that uh, that we can really see where Baeza stands right now. I think uh, Sato is a good fighter, but you saw also Sato when when he gets a difficult opponent, he's he's not the Sato that 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 we expect him to be, you know. So um, I, I I'd like to see him against Alan Joban, but uh, yeah, that's just my opinion. I think that would be a fun fight. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we've got it is uh, 
none other than Marcel Dorf here on the show. We're talking all things, of course, uh, UFC Fight Night Smith versus Clark. We're talking Miguel uh, Baiza here. Let's talk about talk about the rest of the card. It, if for those who didn't know, like after that fight and every, after everything's over, we can, we're not going to break down every fight because that'd be too long for a car, which is which is good, not great. Give me some people who stood out. Give me like a couple people you look at and go. There's some people to watch. They are they are fighters to watch in the future. The Tibetan Eagle man, Sumudarji man, he looked great again. Now against Malcolm Gordon, he knocked him out within a minute. Uh, dude looks solid. He looked solid in his last fight against uh, Andre Sukumtad, I think. Before that, he lost to Smolkar, but he didn't look that bad in that fight either. But but he's a big he's a he's a big guy for flyweight man, and uh, I I think he can do some stuff over there. He's still very young. Uh, I know he he went training in Chechnya for his last fight, and uh, he really came back very very strong in my opinion. And um, the fight against Gordon Malcolm Gordon is, is nowhere an easy fight, you know he. he he lost to uh, Albazi in his de- UFC debut, I know, but Gordon is solid, and uh, Sumodaji made him look like it was easy, you know. So I was really impressed with that. Norma Dumont, unanimous decision victory over Ashley Evans Smith. Yeah. I know she's young; she's only five and one in her career. But how much, especially with everything going on in the bantamweight division, you're trying to find new people because. You're not sure how much longer Nunez will stay around. Holm will stay around. How much was this for for USC a big blessing, having somebody new that can come in at 135 and just, you know, hang with somebody? Yeah, true. It's very very good. I think Dumont looked good. Problem with Dumont is, is that she came from 145 where she made her debut and she got pretty easily put away by Megan Anderson. So her hype wasn't really high into coming into this fight. Uh, she did very well uh, in her sophomore outing, and she won against Ashley Evans-Smith. But we got to be honest here, Ashley Evans-Smith hasn't looked great either in her last couple of fights. So I really like to see Dumont making uh, more moves right now. It's, uh, I mean, looking forward, man, to, to this. I think Dumont has, has, a, uh, has a, maybe a great future at Bantamweight. Bantamweight also new, needs uh, some new, uh, some new go- uh, big stars because... We pretty much are like Nunez is the top, and under that we have Durand, me, and Holm. But uh, everything bes- below that can't win against the top three. So uh, we really need new girls over there who uh, who can make a run. So uh, let's hope uh, Norma can do that. Will be fun to see. I want to switch topics here to a, a topic which is very dear to your heart. That is Anderson Silva. Uh, right now he's now been released. Nobody's picked him up. Bellator hasn't picked him up. PFL hasn't picked him up. Um, even KSW has not picked him up. First of all, let's ask me a question. Why? Are you, are you surprised that nobody else has picked him up and went, all right, you know what? Let's bring Anderson Silva into the mix. The thing is, I, I don't know what um, what what are Silva's, uh, uh, what does he ask money-wise? You know, I think that's a big thing. I mean, you can you can uh, get Anderson Silva to your company, but what do you have to offer him? You know, I think that's a big thing. And uh, Anderson Silva doesn't have to prove prove anything anymore. That's that's also and uh, I, I I don't know, man. I mean, 
normally we saw if, if the UFC uh, says uh, we we're not going to go going to go anything further with you, Bellator picking them up. But Bellator is going to is uh, getting in a completely different way with picking up uh, new uh, new guys uh, guys who are doing very well in the regional scene, which I think is a very smart way of Bellator now doing their stuff, in my opinion. So I, I, I don't know, man, Anderson Silva, but I'm sure if, if if he goes, for example, to Brazil and he's going to, for example, a, a jungle fight, Tara MMA, they will 100% give him a fight. And even uh, if he asks, uh, I, I know Ryzen said he would, they willing to help him, but not uh, they didn't sign him or anything. But if he really wants to have a fight for an organization, I'm pretty sure they, wanna, they will give it to him. I mean, he, he still has uh, lots of people who will follow him. He's a superstar, man. So, anyways, I mean, good example. Last night, Mike Tyson against Roy Jones Jr. How many people watched that? You know, and uh, these these guys are in their fifties or something. So, I mean, Anderson Silva will always be watched wherever he fights. Are you surprised that Bellator did make a run or more serious run at Fabricio Verdum? I mean, I know that they've been gutting older stars, but when you talk about heavyweights, and as you said, they can last forever because there's not many of them. Are you surprised, or is that part of now the Bellator's new mantra of we're not going to pay over, you know, overpay guys who are just not there anymore? I think Fabricio is is is, is managed by Ali Abdelaziz, and Ali Abdelaziz has good has good how do you say the connections with PFL. So I think that's also a thing why he went to PFL and. It's an, it's an interesting tournament format as well when they're actually doing the tournament, of course. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, Bellator, I, I really like the new way Bellator is going right now. I think maybe what Doom would have been a good addition to their to their uh, to their roster, definitely. But I really like what they are doing right now. If they keep doing this and keep uh, building talent, getting talent from regional shows, building them up. They can really get to compete with the UFC in two or three years if they keep doing this. It's a very smart move what they are making the last couple of months, what they're doing. And uh, I'm really, I'm really happy they are doing this because UFC really needs some good uh, competition with other promotions, in my opinion. And uh, the right way doing that is to pick up some local talent, uh, regional good fighters, regional champions, and building them up as, uh, as the next big thing. So... I understand why Bellator didn't make it happen to get where Doom, but I think he would have been a cool, a cool addition to their roster and uh, eventually maybe fighting for the title would have been cool. That's that's my opinion. We keep hearing from Dana. He says, oh, he's coming back. That, you know, Habib Nurmagomedov is coming back. He is back. He is back in the MMA business in terms of a promoter, but... You you know this better than most people. I mean, you're tied into the European circuit here. How much do you feel this is it for Habib? That he, with everything going on, with the loss of his father, with him, you know, already having that big money deals, with everything going on with COVID, how much do you feel that he is basically done as a fighter? And he's looking at but this was his last swan song, and he looks and goes, "I got nothing else to prove. I've done it all." Yeah, I, th- I think he's done. I think he's done. He's, he said it. I, I believe it. With very many fighters, I don't believe it when they say they are done. But I believe it with Habib. So I think he's done. The thing is, uh, Dana really wants him to fight the third, the 30 fight. Uh, I don't know if it's going to... I don't think it's going to happen. 
That's pretty funny. They put uh, Umar Nurmagomedov against uh, Sergei Morozov on the Connor against the uh, Poirier cards, you know? So he knows Khabib will be in attendance to uh, corner Umar. So uh, that's probably also uh, one of the strategies UFC is trying. But uh, I, I don't think, honestly, Khabib comes back. I don't think so. But uh, hey, you never know what's going to happen. Maybe his mother says, like, hey, dude, if you want to if you if you want to fight go fight you know and then he maybe is like i'm gonna fight again but i don't think so man he's he, he's a real traditional guy i think i think if he says he doesn't come back he doesn't come back but uh, i might be wrong time will learn last couple of questions before we let you go no pressure time here uh bell tour 254 it's literally almost a week away or some some spots it's once again you have it's uh, Gordia Mushi, Nate Andrews, Magomedov versus Matthias Matos, Marty Marks, Lynn Vassell. Main event, yeah. Ilima Lee McFarland versus Juliana Velasquez. We, I know with Lucas Grenichar, we talked about AJ McKee being the big star with Bellator. Is yeah. Ilima Lee McFarland right now the face of Bellator? When you consider her dominance, her personality, the story behind her, the way that she has, you know, sold out in Hawaii, is she basically Bellator's face in terms of if you're going to ever put a show on CBS, she's, you know, the, the number one person that might highlight that fight? She is, I would say she's one of the faces. But the problem is right now, if you ask a random fan about who, uh, say, a women fighter in Bellator, they will probably all say Cyborg. And that makes sense because she's probably the most, one of the most famous women in MMA. And Ilima Lea McFarlane, she's amazing. She's an undefeated champion. She has uh, she has done crazy good in Bellator, uh, many title defenses. Uh, it's hard to say, man, but this is a tough fight for her, man. Juliana Velasquez, she's undefeated as well. I'm high on her. So um, that's a difficult, uh, that's a difficult fight for her. But if you ask me, is she the face of Bellator? I don't think she's the face of Bellator, but my, one of the many faces of Bellator. I don't think there's one face of Bellator, in my opinion. Is there a fight out there for her that makes sense? I mean, that can make her a bigger star. I mean, we, when we talk about you know, the fantasy is Dana Coker have some beers. They go, all right, now let's do this wild thing. And we get a Lehman Lady McFarland versus Valentina Shevchenkov. Granted, that probably won't happen. So is there a fight realistically you can make that is worth it for Alima Lay? I mean, is there an opponent out there where you're looking going, this might be, you know, that perfect fight. This might be that ideal fight for to make Alima Lay a bigger name, how you know, mainstream-wise. Yeah, and Bellator not, unfortunately, man. You you still have three three girls she has to beat, in my opinion. That's Juliana Velasquez, that's Denise Kielholtz, and that's uh, Les Carmouche. Those are probably the three fights that uh, that will be presented to her. As, if she wins this one, she gets one of those other two girls, I think. But um, I don't think those fights will make her a bigger star or whatever. I really think she, she needs to fight a, a girl like Valentina, for example, and we all know it's not going to happen. Or Valentina has to come to Bellator or Lima has to go to, to the UFC because they're not going to do cross promotion. So I don't think that's going to happen, man. But that's hard, man, because she, she basically beat everybody uh, that, that she had so far in her division in that, uh, in that flyweight uh, for Bellator. So it, it's hard. I think it's very hard what you, what you were asking. 
will we ever get a cross promotion fight? I mean, we've seen it. We've seen almost everything impossible. Most people thought Pacquiao versus me would never happen. That happened. We thought that Conor McGregor, you know, Floyd May would never happen. That happened. With everything going on, and with the UFC ESPN deal being good but not great, is there a chance that you know maybe twenty twenty one we have maybe that just pure super card that once in a lifetime Bellator UFC they make it happen they find some way you know there's enough money to make everybody happy here is there a chance or is, as long as Dana White endeavor there it's just a pipe dream it's just a dream man it's it's not it's not going to happen for the simple reason that the UFC is uh, recognized as the world's biggest promotion in MMA and if they're going to fight Bellator for example and let's say they're fighting for eight titles for example, and the UFC will win six and lose two, then they they are losing. And Bellator will win with every title they win from the UFC. They can, for example, if you do Patricio Pitbull against uh, Volkanovski, and Patricio Pitbull beats Volkanovski, the Bellator can say we have the best featherweight division, and featherweight is one of the strongest divisions in the UFC right now. So that would tarnish the UFC. You know, and that's Dana's never going to agree with that. And that's the thing when you are the leader in, in, in the mixed martial arts world right now, they don't have to do that. And that's why every other organization wants to do that against the UFC to prove they have the better division. You know, it, it makes sense. You know, I, I remember in Pride back in the day when they had a tournament and uh, the UFC definitely wanted to have Chuck Liddell in that tournament because they had the best light heavyweight champion in the world. And Chuck lost in the semifinals to Rampage Jackson. And uh, the Vanderlei fight never happened in Pride. They la- it later happened in the UFC, a non-title fight. But back then, the UFC wasn't the biggest promotion. And then Dana was more like on the on the end of where one championship is now, and Bellator is now, that he wanted to prove that he had the best athletes. And now he's in that, in that pole position of being the best promotion recognized worldwide. So he's not... Pr- he basically has nothing to win there. Everybody expects if he fights or, or his fighters in the UFC fight another promotion, they go 8-0 or 7-0 or whatever, you know? So I don't expect that to happen. As long as the UFC has enough money, it's not going to happen. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, I give you, it is the man who is, he has more jobs and more and more positions than well the federal government. Unlike them, it always runs smoothly. I give you all the way from Netherlands, I give you it's Marcel Dorf. Uh, Marcel, before I let you go, where can fans check you out? I have a Twitter page, the websites, uh, the YouTube channels. Like, where can fans hit you up at? Um, our articles are on MMADNA.nl. Uh, also, MMADNA is running on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And my personal account, Big Marcel24, both on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for having me, Chris. Always a, always a pleasure, man. Uh, pleasure on mine. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I give you. It's another than Marcel Dorf. We got to wrap this up here. And so, for once again, for my wonderful guests, we had it was Rob Fawn for Clay Colliard for Marcel Dorf. This is Chris Connor saying, I'm out of here. Stay tuned for more great action only on it is the Blue Wire Hustle Network coming up soon. <laughs>